right. Well, next week actually is Back to Church Sunday. Believe it or not, it's a national Back to Church Sunday. I didn't even know that was a thing until this past week. And I was like, oh, Back to Church Sunday. All right. So uh, anyways, I want to invite, encourage you to, to invite somebody with you next week. We're starting a new series, too, called Parent Guild. And we're going to do a teaching on parenting for a couple of weeks. And uh, I have all the answers to parenting. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm so ready to uh, reveal that to you. All right. Well, hey, today we are wrapping up our series, Heart for the House, and uh, so, so thankful for this series. This past week, I had uh, an opportunity last week. Uh, Andrew spoke so good, so grateful for him and, and the talk on worship. But last week, I had the privilege of going uh, up to Dallas, visit some family, and uh, my cousin got married. So I had the privilege of, of doing their wedding. It was a really special thing. And one of the things that I was reminded of is this, is that good hosts make preparations, right? Good hosts make proper preparations. And the reason why I say that is because uh, my cousin's uh, wife, Tammy, incredible person, and uh, they just made incredible uh, hosting preparation. Have you ever been hosted and just really taken care of in a special way? And I know this is so true that good hosts, you can put that back up on the screen, you can leave it there. Uh, good hosts make proper preparations. And the reason why that's so important for us to understand is because uh, is, is we're going to unpack this whole thing about preparation and what good hosts look like. And I'll explain it as we unpack our passage of scripture today. But good hosts make proper preparations, right? And so one of the things that uh, I was reminded of, and I, and I just thought about this, is because this week when I was visiting with the family, uh, she had like a spread of food. You know, do you know the people that just go the extra mile? It's not that they just have like chips and salsa. Don't be a chips and salsa person. Go the extra mile. Get some more than just chips and salsa. Get variety going. And so she had like fruits and vegetables. And then, and then she's like, hey, just so you know, Ricky, I know you like the gluten-free stuff, so this is the gluten-free option for you. And you're like, oh, man. Man, and then and she just went all the, the dip. I mean, it's this massive spread, right? Like every single day for the family. And then uh, there's so many things and people changing rooms, you know, so the kids had to leave certain rooms and then extra towels. So then you talk about a good host. Uh, this is what a good host looks like. So we're, we go in, you know, take showers and you're at, you know, family's house, you know, and you don't want to use people's loofahs, right? You don't want to use people's loofahs. Don't do that. That's gross. And so, uh, so anyways, there's these loofahs and I was like, hey, do you, do you have a washcloth, you know, because, you know, we, there's, there's loofahs, but I don't want to use, you know, your kid's loofahs. She's like, no, no, those are brand new loofahs just for you. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, that's a good host, right? New loofahs. So if I ever come stay at your house, just new loofah, okay? Don't, don't, I don't want your loofah. But uh, anyways, and so I think I, I was reminded just about what good hosting looks like. And good hosts know this. They make proper preparations. And, and here's what I know. Whenever you get hosted well, when people do this for you, people, you, you feel important, right? When people prepare for us, it makes us feel important. And so you know that, and you pay attention to the details. When you show up to a fine dining restaurant, you know, like, oh, this way, Mr. Williams, or oh, this way, you know, and, and they have that special booth for you all lined up. You know, it makes you feel important. Actually, this uh, summer went on vacation, and in one of our hotels, when we appeared, they put our name on the TV when we walked in, right? And so our name appeared, and all of a sudden, we're like, oh, look, our name, you know, and, and feeling, anybody ever had that? You walk in, get your name, like special treatment, or anybody ever been on an airplane, you know, and then you kind of arrive and somebody's holding the name and you're like, oh, that's me, or you wanted to have somebody hold your name. And, uh, and so anyways, you just love to feel important. When people do this for you, you feel like, you know, you're important to them and so you matter. And so this is a true statement that I know we all understand is that when we prepare, who we prepare for reveals who we care for, right? Who we prepare for reveals who we care for. And so whenever you go and you prepare for somebody, it ultimately reveals who you care about, right? And if somebody shows up to your house and you really don't care about them, well, then you're not going to pay attention to too much of that detail. 
And you know how I know this is true? This is what I was thinking about when I thought about this, this truth. I thought about when you go back, go back. Some of you have been married a long time. I've been married 15 years, love my wife. But I remember, I remember what it was like just to date my wife. And I know this is true because, because I, pre- I cared for her, so I really prepared. Like I got dressed up and you care for them so much. You want to make it all right, make it all neat and nice. And you clean your house and you make it all good. And you, and you, like you cook stuff that you've never cooked for, you know, something in your life maybe. And you make special recipes and you do all these special things. Why? Because who you prepare for reveals who you care for. Now, the reason why this is so important for us to understand today, this is why it's so important, because the passage that we're going to unpack today in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is going to talk about preparing a place. And in that preparing for a place, he's going to talk about, ultimately, it's going to reveal who he cares for. And ultimately, it's going to reveal the title of today's message, which is his heart for his house. You know, this series, Heart for the House, really is not just about our heart for the house, but it's about God's heart for the house. And this whole passage we're going to unpack today, we're going to discover his heart for his house, all right? So here's the context. This guy named Luke writes, Luke chapter 14, writes the book of Luke, also writes some other uh, books in the Bible. So this guy Luke is going to be explaining a story. And here's the story that he's explaining or that he's unpacking. Here's what's happening in the, in this, in the scene. So when we read the text, you're like, you're there with me. So Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bible, uh, you can get your phone out or you can just look at the screen. All right, so Luke chapter 14, here's what's happening. You have these guys sitting at a table, and uh, you can leave it there, it's fine. You have these guys sitting at a table, and they're in this conversation. And here's, here's the scene, though, that you may not get unless you read the whole chapter. So... These guys are rushing to the head of the table. They want the good seat at the table. And the reason they want the head, the head of the table is because they want to be close to the guy who's like hosting the whole thing. They want to get around to the, the, the rich people, the wealthy people, the popular people, because the closer they get to these people, uh, the better they look. And so they're rushing to the head of the table. Jesus comes in. He's like, that's not how my followers should act. You should sit at the back of the table, get invited to the front. And he's talking about this famous line that maybe you've heard about those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And then he makes this statement. And off of that, this statement is made. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, which I love. So I'm never inviting any of you to my house. This is now, I, I have this whole freedom thing. No, and then I love this one. You don't have to invite your brothers or sisters either. That's even better. And then he says, your relatives, this is getting fantastic, right? So yes, no more Thanksgiving. This is great. Or your rich neighbors. And he says, if you do, they may invite you back. So you will be repaid. So obviously he's pushing on this idea about being repaid. Then he goes on, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you'll be blessed. And then this is so important. He says, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection. All right, now here's his whole teaching. Here's why he's saying that. He's saying, the only reason why you're inviting these people to your party, the only reason why you're doing that is because you know they're gonna invite you to their party. And when you get invited to their party, it's gonna ultimately make you look better, feel better about yourself. And so really, ultimately, the purpose of you doing this is for you. And he's like, don't do that. I'm reading into the reason why you're inviting all these people to the party, and the reason you're inviting them to the party is the whole wrong reason. You're just trying to make yourself look good, prepare for yourself, and really, ultimately, you're the center of attention. Don't do that. Instead, invite these people, the people who have nothing to give you, right? And then all of a sudden, the, the motives start to get kind of twisted in turn, and the reason why this is so important, because in Jesus' day, in Jesus' day, the emphasis was on reputation, not on character, 
The whole emphasis of this is in the day and age, it was all about reputation, the kind of reputation that you would carry with people. And this is kind of what made you feel good about yourself, the reputation that you have with people. And we get this idea too in our world because we want to be around popular people, famous people. I've never yet in my life had anyone come after a service one day, and don't do this today, please don't do this today, but I've never had anybody come up to me like, hey, can I get a, a, a picture with you? You know, just put it out there, you know, just you and me. I've never yet to have that happen to me. But, and, and most of us probably understand that. Most of you probably never had that happen to you. But the moment you get around someone who's popular and famous, all of a sudden you're like, hey, can I get a picture with you? And then you post it for all to see as somehow that maybe people on social media be like, oh, you got to meet so-and-so, you know, and you got to be around them and you feel good. And you're like, yeah, look at this. That's so, so many likes off of this shot. Hey, right here, look at right here. Can you sign this and put my name on it so I could say, declare us friends, you know, if you would. And we do all kinds of things because we want to what? We care about that reputation. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I care way more and more about character. And so Jesus is trying to make a teaching, and his teaching is this. Jesus is teaching his followers to invite, not based on the applause of men, but on the praise of God. Or you might even say the approval of God. So when you make the invitation to a banquet, don't invite based on, you know, what they're going to give you, what they're going to provide for you. Make the invitation simply What's going to please me? What's going to praise me? What's going to honor me? And so he's not saying don't invite friends. He's not saying don't invite your family over. Never have them over. No, what he's pushing on is the motive for which they're inviting. And he's teaching this whole thing. So that's the context to the story. That's where we are. And then this guy, whoever this guy is, we don't know his name. He jumps up. He makes a statement. And then Jesus begins to tell a story. And here's the statement this guy says in response to this teaching. So it goes on to say in uh, Luke 14, verse 15, it says, when one of these at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And here's what this guy is doing. He's going back to some Old Testament. He's saying, hey, as Jewish, this is a Jewish uh, community of people sitting at the table. A lot of these are religious leaders, by the way. These are church people. These are Jews who, who understood this idea of this feast. And they had this thought in their mind that one day the Messiah would come and they would be at a feast with this king, with this Messiah. And they're thinking, this is going to be a great day. And this guy has a lot of confidence that he's going to make it to the party, that he's going to get there, he's going to sit at the table, he's going to push himself probably up close to, to whoever this Messiah is. And Jesus is sitting there and he hears this guy and this guy has such confidence that he is going to be invited to the party and Jesus is about to burst his bubble. Now watch this. So Jesus hears this guy talk. Here's what Jesus says next in response to that statement. So Jesus replies back with a story. And here's how he answers. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, the reason he says this is because in this day and age, there was not clocks, and so what they would do is make two invitations. And the first invitation would simply be to say, hey, are you, you're invited. This is the day of which it's going to be happening. This is the day of the party. But the time that the party would start wouldn't be released until the day of the party. And so Jesus is making a real practical statement here that they would have understood in their day and age. In addition to that, many biblical kind of scholars and commentators and stuff believe that also this is a play on something about Moses and Jesus, that Moses is the one who did the first invitation. He introduces God and his people. And then Jesus is coming is now the second inviter. He's coming to say, hey, the time has now come. I am here. All right, so this is where Jesus heads in this conversation. He's saying, hey, go and tell the people the party is ready. And then it continues on. 
And he says this, but they all alike began to make excuses. And this is our favorite part. And this is where it's like, oh yeah, I kind of have done that before. So Jesus says, this owner makes this invitation and then people start to make excuses. How many of you ever use children as an excuse to not go to someone's party? Anybody? Come on, you know, yeah, 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 you know, and all kinds of excuses. Oh, sorry, you know, the kids, they got homework tonight, you know, and they don't have homework. You're just like, we just don't want to come. And so anyways, so excuses, and you're going to identify with some of these excuses, all right? So here's a couple excuses. A couple thousand years ago, here's some excuses they said. The first excuse said, I have just bought a field, so I got to go see it. I mean, what is that? You know, what a terrible excuse. You know, let's, let's say, hey, sorry, you know, I wish I could come to the, to, the, to the banquet, Jesus. Unfortunately, you know, I can't come to church or whatever that might be. And I, I just bought a house. What? You know, what a terrible excuse. And then you think about this even further. Who buys a field they haven't saw? Like, that's a lie, you know? If you ever had somebody tell you an excuse, you're like, that doesn't even make sense. You're evidently lying, and so this is, are you relating to these people? Yeah, okay, so this is, now you're gonna love this second excuse. It's so good. He says, another said, and I love, I love this, because I can just imagine one guy excuse, you know, and another guy kind of jumps in, all right? He says, I've just bought a five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Who buys oxen that they haven't even tried? That's like you buying a car that you never test drove. You know, you're like, well, that's, you know, and some of you do that, Carvana, like some of you do that already. But you're just like, but you know, you're just like, who does that? You know, and that doesn't make any sense. Like, what a bad excuse, but that's the excuse. Hey, I just got a couple cows, you know, I can't come to church today. I just got to go check out the cows, you know. Anyways, so just these excuses. And then this last one, please excuse me. I love this one. This is so good. I just got married, you know. Just getting married. And I've had people, I've had people say, you know, unfortunately, you know, I wish I could make it today. I wish I could come to church. Sorry, man, but you know, just, just busy, right? Like ultimately, when you look at all of these things, one of the most common excuses we get, it's it just been busy. Come on, let's just all say it. Let's just say it. I'm just busy, you know? Anybody busy at all? Busy? Any busy people? Raise your hand if you're busy. If you feel, anybody busy? Raise your hand high. Like be proud of your busyness. Yeah, just busy. All right. So, so many people are busy, and, and so many times every Sunday you say, you know, if it's a church or something like that, or reading your Bible, it's, I'm so busy, busy, I'm just so busy, I'm just so busy. And how Jesus responds to all these excuses, and I could dive so deep into these excuses. I could spend a long time unpacking. These are work excuses. This is a relational excuse, you know? This is all kinds of excuses. Now, Jesus is gonna come back because he's, you know, he's, he's such a good teacher and he's like, man, when he says something, I was like, oh, dude, that just hit, yeah, yeah, hit home. All right, so here's how Jesus starts to respond to this. Jesus continues on, Luke chapter 14, verses 21. He says, the servant came back, reported this to the master. All right, so it says, the owner of the house became angry. He gets mad at this, he says, and he ordered his servant. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor. He goes back to verse 12. And the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I want you to go get the people who are nothing like you. I want you to go get people. Now, Jesus is doing a big teaching because the, the table is just Jews. And he's got a lot of these religious leaders at the table. And he's trying to teach them something about his kingdom, about his house. And here's what he's ultimately doing. Jesus is widening the invitation. And he makes this statement that the invitation is wide open to people that they wanted nothing to do with. People they didn't want to be around. People they didn't even like. People that were annoying to them. 
Does that make sense? I mean, just wrap your head. I know. Anybody ever been around an annoying person? They're just so annoying. I mean, hello, they're just so annoying. So the last thing I want to do is bring them into the, the table. I mean, can we just have like a kitty table or like an annoying person table, you know? So, so Jesus is saying, listen, in the culture, the people who are blind or lame or crippled, these are people who are really marginalized in society. And Jesus is trying to make a teaching. It's like, you guys are rushing to the table. You guys are all about the table. You're only inviting people who better you and prompt you and up your reputation. That is not what my kingdom is all about. And Jesus is teaching what his whole house is all about and ultimately revealing his heart for his house. And he's saying, these are the people that matter. These people who you want nothing to do with. These people who are pushed to the outside. A lot of these people, like who are crippled, the blame, a lot of people thought, you know, they're in sin, so stay away from them. Many of these people that he's referring to are people who had never been married, never been given opportunity, never been given job opportunity, never had lots of friends or lots of followers. Certainly not a lot to offer you. And Jesus is saying, this is who I want at my table, and the table widens, and it gets much bigger than they would have ever thought. And of course, Jesus is teaching that eventually that the kingdom of God would not be just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, for, for all people, that this whole all people thing would be revealed, that, that God cares about all these people. And so it continues on in Luke, verse 22, and he says, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. So he does it. The servant does what the master says. And he, he says, but there's still room. There's still room at the table. Then the master told his servant, now go out to the roads in the country lanes and compel, it says compel, that's such a big word, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. He reveals his heart that his house would be full. And then he says, and I tell you, he makes this powerful statement, so, so rich in context. He says, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. I'm going to read that line again. Let's let it sink in for a moment. It says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Jesus is telling the story about the guy in response to the guy who said, I know I'm going to be there. And Jesus is saying, not so fast. Not everyone who is invited accepts the invitation. You're invited, but you haven't accepted the invitation, which is why you're not going to taste my banquet. And what Jesus is ultimately getting at is there is an eternal consequence to how you respond to this invitation. That there's this eternity at stake. That there's this idea that you're not going to taste the banquet that I'm preparing for you. Not because you're not invited, but because you haven't accepted the invitation. In fact, you've rejected the invitation. And in this context, if you had invited somebody to your, your, your party, and you had said, hey, would you come? And they said, yes, we'll, we'll go. And then the servant goes out and tells you, hey, we're ready. The guy's prepared the place. The party's ready. And then you send back, say, hey, just tell that person I'm not coming after all this preparation, and you're not coming? And Jesus is saying, I have come. I have come to prepare a place. Like, I am here. It's for you, and you're rejecting me, is what he's getting at. And you're rejecting me, and if you reject me, you reject God. If you reject me and you reject God, you never taste the banquet that I prepared for you. And there's eternal implications to that rejection. To which Jesus says, it's just why my heart is that my house would be full. And so he says, not just full of Jewish religious leaders, 
but full of people who you reject. Why? Because ultimately, who I prepare for reveals who I care for. And so I, I'm, I just want you to just wrap your head around all these people who are outcasted and marginalized, and he's trying to open their hearts, help them see what he sees. And here's ultimately what Jesus says when he says this word compel. Jesus used this word compel, and Jesus said compel. Here's what the word compel means. It means to necessitate, or one translation means to insistently persuade. Now you say, why would Jesus use the word compel? Why would he say, you've got to, in some cases, people think it's the word force, but it's not really forced by like force them, grab them, you're coming with me, you have no choice. But it's this, I've got to compel you to do this. I've got to get you here. I can't just let this go quietly. I can't just subtly invite you like, hey, if you want to come, it's cool. If you don't, it's fine. You know, I, I've got to try to compel this. This is much deeper than just making an invitation. This is compelling. And he says, you've got to in, 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 insistently persuade. I want you to talk with them. I want you to try to grab them, come them in. Why? He says, the reason Jesus says to compel is simply this, is that the ones that were being invited didn't think they belonged. The ones who, the, the blind, the lame, the, the people are pushed to the outside, they didn't think they had a seat at the table. They didn't think this was for them. And which many people in the context sitting at this table thought, yeah, we don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. Like, you know that story where Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners? And of course, the Jewish religious leaders are thinking, what is he doing? You can't do that. You don't hang around those people. To which the people in that society thought, we don't belong there. If you go to, uh, look at John chapter four where Jesus meets the woman at the well and she's like, I'm a Samaritan woman. You don't talk with me, right? So you see this idea that, that Jesus is trying to shift the culture and say, no, no, you belong too. And so they needed to be convinced that they were welcome. These people were like the most non-church people, non-followers of Jesus people, so they had to be convinced that they had a seat at the table because they didn't think they had a seat at the table. And so here's what I know, and, just, and I've only done ministry you know, 15 years, not that long, honestly, but, but uh, here's what I have discovered and we're talking with people and been in churches. This is so true. What I know is simply this, is that Jesus' whole heart, by the way, what I know is so true, his heart for his house is that it would be full. That seems so clear to me in Scripture, that Jesus wants his house to be full. He wants every seat filled, not just his church filled. I just want you to see that. that he's not talking about just a church be filled. He wants his house to be full. And according to Scripture, by the way, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. So right now, you just wrap your head around this. Jesus is in heaven preparing a party for you and for others. Now he's preparing the place. This is so good. And, he, and his, his whole hope is the place would be packed. I mean, he wants it, can I say bumping? Like he wants it ooh, bumping and like he wants it going. You know, I know it's an old high school term that I used to in the 90s. Okay, but he's like, he's just like, he wants it packed in there, right? He wants it to be filled. Like that's his heart. So that my, my house would be filled. No empty seats. I want it all filled. And here's what I've discovered about that. And this is so important for us to get. We've got to understand this. I think one of the reasons why, and we'll put this up on the screen, one of the reasons why people choose not to belong to a church is because they feel they don't belong to a church. In fact, this probably resonates with some of you at some point in your life that the reason you didn't end up coming to church is because at some point in your life, you didn't think you belonged in church. And you, you went throughout your week, you went throughout your life, just in case you don't remember, you went throughout certain weeks and you just thought, and in fact, some of you, some of you still, even today, you did something yesterday, you did something last night, you said something, you thought, I don't think I belong there. I need to get my life right 
first. I need to get fixed first. And, and church is for people who kind of have it more together. And it's not for me yet. And when I'm ready, then I'll go. I have found this to be so true that one of the reasons people choose not to belong to a church is because when they get there, they actually feel like they don't belong in church. And I think the church, I mean, honestly, for many years and decades, maybe even, I think for many, and maybe even still, many churches, I think this is so true, that when you show up to that church, when you show up to that place, it does feel like you don't belong. Because they have a language, and I don't know if you know this, but Christians can have weird language, like languages, they're just like Christianese, that's what people call it sometimes, right? Just this, this weird language, you know? And it's certain words that maybe people from the, you know, the, the outside are like, what, does that, do I fit in that club? I remember my first day of college, of going to a Christian college, was going to a church leadership degree program at a university. And I was a brand new Christian, signed up for this whole thing. And, uh, and it was this, I won't mention the denomination, but it was a denominational school. And so I went to this school and, and there was just language about Holy Spirit and fire raining down and heat in my chest and certain languages. I'm like, what is this? You know, this is weird. And I remember going to church sometimes, first time I see people laying out on the floor, people hands in the air. And I'm like, do I belong here? This feels kind of weird. And so the whole tension is, this, this is a whole tension. And I think one of the reasons why people don't show up to church just, just for conversation is because when they show up, they're reminded they don't feel like they belong there. And I think we've gotten really good at helping people maybe not feel like they belong, which is why I think, and, are, and so many great churches are existing in our world today that do a really good job at this. And this is why this matters so much to me. And I just want to say in our heart for this house, We've got to get this right. We have to get this right. That this is not a place for perfect people. This is not a place for like the most righteous people. This is not a place for just the Bible study scholars. This is a place for all people. When Jesus said, I want to prepare a place, it's for people who know nothing about the Bible. We can never forget who this table is for. And the moment you think that table is there for you, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be so fast where Jesus said, hold on a second. Yeah, you've been invited, but you don't understand the invitation. The, the table is always expanding in the kingdom. Which, by the way, the next chapter is Luke chapter 15, which is all about the prodigal son and the lost coin and the lost sheep. Man, you just get a sense of his heart for people who know nothing about him. I think that's so important in church. That's what's so important for us to understand that when we do teaching up here or talking up here, when we do singing up here, oh, we gotta go deeper, we gotta go deeper. Hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second. That, that's a whole nother conversation. But let's not forget about why we're here. We're not just here just to grow you. We're also here to fill the house for people who have no idea what faith is like and what Jesus is all about. And ultimately, let's be reminded of this today, that the goal of the church, by the way, and you see this in this story, that the goal of the church is not to create a place where everyone knows everyone. That doesn't seem to be the story in the church. Jesus, ah, table's full, party's full, got to go on a wait list, you know? You're just going to have to go on a wait list. No, this doesn't seem to be Jesus' teaching. His whole place is that everyone would come to know him. So the goal of the church is not to create a place where everyone knows everyone. That doesn't even happen day one, 3,000 people. This is the goal of the church is to create a place where everyone knows Jesus, and yet for so long, so many people want to belong to a church that where everyone knows me. But the moment you make you the focus, you've lost the whole focus of the church. I want to go to a place where people know my issues, know my problems, where people can get to know me, 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 me. Hold on a second. There's a seat at the table for everyone. And I just want you to know, and I just want to make it so clear, so clear. In the church of Christ, like the church of Jesus, like in his kingdom, do you know 
how big that table is? Like, you are not the only one at that table. And his whole heart, and I love this, is to fill it. He wants to fill as many seats as possible. He wants his house full. And this is where this, this, when I went through this study just a little bit, I was thinking about this, like, gosh, let's just take a picture, though, of what Jesus is ultimately, he's saying and what he's speaking to these people. And then Jesus, in all of this, in this story, he tells, go tell the servant. Remember the story? He goes, go tell the servant to go and compel them. Go tell the servant to go tell that the table is ready. It's set. It's prepared. Notice that the owner doesn't, He's not the one telling, you know, go invite somebody. Go bring them in. The owner could have said, hey, have them go out and start telling people. But no, he says, no, I want the servants to go. I want the servant to go tell people that, that the master's ready, that the owner for this is ready. And here's what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. It's so interesting that Jesus would go about this way when it comes to filling his house. Here's what Jesus does when it goes to filling his house. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus takes responsibility to prepare the house, but he delegates responsibility of filling the house to his followers. just want you to think about that for a second. Jesus is teaching something very important. I'll go to prepare the place. And no doubt Jesus is in the kingdom today preparing a place for you and for me. And he says, remember the criminal on the cross, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to paradise and I am going to prepare a place for you. And one day I will come back and get you. But in the meantime, you fill it. And I think that is so, so important for us to understand today. That it is your responsibility, evidently, according to Jesus, as a follower of him, to fill the house. It's not mine. It's not the church's. It's not just like, you know, the staff of a church. According to Jesus, the responsibility shifts to his servant. And if you're a servant of God... Your responsibility is to fill the house while he prepares the house. You have a responsibility, and so do I, to invite. It is not something that we just do when we get a chance. He says, compel them. And when somebody rejects your invitation and makes an excuse, you know what he says? Just tell someone else. And invite the people that you don't even like. And I know what you're thinking, but I don't want to invite people to my church that I don't want to you know, be around. I want to invite people that I like, because that's our tendency, right? The problem with that is, the problem with that, listen, the problem with inviting only people that you like is, the amount of people that you invite is going to be really, really, really small. Right? Well, I've asked everybody that I like, you know, I'm not going to invite her or him. I don't even like them. You go to another church. Hey, you should go check out another church is what you should do. You should go check out another church. Notice that Jesus pushes the responsibility of filling his house to you and to me. And it's a responsibility I don't think we should take too lightly. When was the last time you invited somebody? Just wrap your head around that. If you're a servant of the Lord, he says, it's your responsibility. I'll prepare it, but you invite him. And here's the problem with that. And here's the problem if we don't invite. The problem is, if no one invites, no one gets invited. Not one gets invited. If you don't invite and I don't invite, not one gets invited. No one gets invited. 
So the question then becomes like, who do we want at the table? Right? Like, who's invited to this banquet? You know, it's like, is it just us? Is this it? Is this what we want? We just want like this? Or do we want a full house? According to God, he says, I want my house to be full. And as you think about, and as you think about inviting people into a relationship with God or into a church or into a, a relationship with him or trying to bring them to a house, I just want you to remember this. Remember the person who invited you. Don't forget the one who invited you while someone else was making an excuse. And I just thought about this idea today and it just, it just hit me. It made me think about a person who invited you. And I would just love for you to take a minute and just think about the person who invited you. While other people make excuses for not inviting you, Somebody eventually stopped making excuses why they didn't invite you, and they just made an invitation. And chances are, chances are, the reason you're here today is because at some point, someone invited you. And even for people who put out signs or make, you know, our marketing things happen or whatever it might be, I mean, all that's just putting out invitation. Chances are you're here because at some point, you got invited. For most of you, for most of you, for some of you, or into a relationship with God, it came based on an invitation. In fact, just to show that I'm probably right on that, just so you know that I'm not just saying something that's probably not true, how many of you came into a relationship with Jesus because you were invited by somebody into a relationship with Jesus? Every one of you, am I right? Just imagine the person who invited you into a relationship with Jesus made an excuse. And they said their no for you. Or they said, but if I invite this person, they may not like me. Or if I invite this person, uh, they may feel weird about me. But now you look back on that moment, you look back when you're a young person, you look back when you're you know, struggling in your life or you're going through something significant and God knew that and that person came up to you and said something to you, handed you an invite card, did something, whatever it may have been. And now you look back and you're like, I'm so glad they invited me. So thankful that person brought me. I'm so thankful that that happened in that way. Whether it's your husband, or a spouse, a family member, whoever it was, right? You're so grateful that that invitation happened. For many of you, you also know what it's like. You made excuses. Now, how many of you, like those people, made excuses when you got invited, right? You're like, you made four or five or years of excuses. Anybody ever make excuses? They're like, no, I want to go on church yet. Yeah, a lot of you. And most of you are lying because now you're lying too. You're like, no, I didn't make any excuses. I went the first invitation, right? But a lot of us made excuses. And yet they kept persisting. They kept compelling. And so here's what I want you to do today. I just want you to get really comfortable saying this. Just say this with me. I'm going to practice this. Say, come to me. Come to brave with me. Just say it. Come to brave with me. Say it with me. Come to brave with me. All right, ready one more time. Come to brave with me. Hey, come to brave with me. All right, say, come to brave with me. All right, you want to break it up a little bit? Come to brave with me. All right, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you want to say it, but just say, come to brave with me. You know, like, yeah, just come to brave with me. Just come to break. It's not hard to say, right? But, but sometimes you get around somebody you don't know or some situation or environment, you get that little nudge, and it's like, ugh, I don't know what to say. But now you do. Just say, come to brave with me. Come to brave with me. And you say, but this is not the whole point, right? Here, you say, why am I pushed on inviting to a church? Because Jesus is talking about a much bigger thing, the kingdom of heaven, and that's way more important. I get that. But here's why I say church, and here's why I invite church. Why I invited church? Here's why. Because church is a high potential environment to enter a transformational relationship with Jesus. All you're to do is inviting him into a scenario situation. It's a high potential environment to encounter the love of Jesus Christ. That's all this is. All this gathering is, this is the potential environment for you to hear, for you to meet, for you to see something that God is speaking to you. All you're doing is bring him to an environment. But ultimately, the invitation goes way beyond church. And ultimately, it goes to sit at a feast with Jesus in heaven where every single person belongs there's a seat at the table for every single person, even the people you despise.
Even the people that you think are so disgusting and so gross and they should never have access to the king. But Jesus says, no, no, them too. Now go and compel them. So here's what we're gonna say, right? Just say this, get real comfortable saying this. Come be brave with me. Come to go brave. And then finally, when you get rejected, just invite someone else. <laughs> right? I mean, you're gonna get rejected. And so Jesus said that in the story. He's like, hey, when you get rejected, just invite someone else then. Someone makes an excuse, say, sounds great. All right, I'll be praying for awesome. Great, we go. And go invite somebody else. Sometimes we invite one person, we get rejected, and we stop. Go invite somebody else. Jesus says in his scripture, in his word, it's so true, that he desires his house to be filled, that God wants all people to come into a relationship with him. And I hope that encourages you today. And then on your seat or on the way out, your hand invite cards. And the best thing I can tell you today is go and tell somebody about Jesus and go and just say, hey, come to pray with me. Just come to pray with me. And all you're doing is inviting them to sit at the table and then allow them and help them, encourage them, you know, compel them to fall in love with Jesus, help them know who Jesus is. And that's what we are here for as a church, as we conclude this whole series, Heart for the House, is that God's heart for this house is that it would be filled. And I do think, I do think that empty seats matter. I do. I think empty chairs matter. And I think God has given us a place to expand and grow and have plenty of people to where we fill this house. Not just so we can say, oh, we have a big church. Oh, so we have high attendance. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Because ultimately, we want to lead people into a transformational relationship with Jesus so they can know they have the seat at the table. And I just want you to think about this. If anyone can throw a party, Jesus, I'm certain, can throw a party. And if you don't believe me, go read the very first miracle he performed. He makes really, really good wine. All right, let's pray. There's motivation. Oh, wine? I'm in. Count me in, Jesus. Here we go. All right. Jesus, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us the way. Thank you for teaching us to love people who can give nothing back to us, just out of selfless, selfless love. And so, Father, I pray over our church that we would have a heart to see people come to know you, people who would just come and sit at your feet and fall in love with you and know your love for them, Jesus. And if today you want to make that decision, say, man, Jesus, I want to come to know you, the real you. You just let somebody know about that. And you say, Jesus, I want to come to know you. Father, I want you to help me find my seat at the table. And I just want you to know that Jesus has a seat at the table for you and he's gone to prepare a place and he's going to come back and he just loves you so much and he wants you to have a relationship with him. He's an amazing, amazing God. He loves you so, so much. And so Jesus, I pray that you would put people on our path to bring to your feast. That you put people on our path, our family, our friends, our neighbors, co-workers, and even people we don't like. Put them in our path, Father, that we could say, come meet this name, man named Jesus. Come meet the King of the world, the Savior of the world. Come meet him. He's changed my life and I know he can change yours. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And we pray over our buccaneers today that you'd help them beat the Dallas Cowboys. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So good.